You're listening to the Just Giants podcast with Grump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud today. Is losing fun? No. What are you having fun for? That's what losing sounds like. Welcome to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I'm your host, the Football Grump, and with me, as always, is Mike the Cranky Fan through thick and thin. What's up, Mike? Grump, this never-ending debacle of the season just keeps rolling on and on. You know, I had this lovely Thanksgiving dinner. You know, the mom and dad made this lovely turkey and all this stuffing and all that other stunk. And by halftime, I was ready to throw it all up. Yeah, this was a... Pretty much what I expected, but seeing it is always worse than knowing it's going to happen. Um, Washington stomped all over the New York Giants 20-10. to 10. It was far less close than that. Um, the Giants' only touchdown came from a third quarter, I believe, third quarter interception return for a touchdown by Janoris Jenkins. Um, the Giants totaled one first down in the, fir- in the second half. Yeah, and... Great, Janoris Jenkins has a pick six, and now it sounds like he's out for the year. So, yeah, add him to the list of the, uh, the infirmed. Yeah, we're we're gonna sound off a little bit on Janoris Jenkins a little bit later, um, but yeah, I mean that's that's the shit news is he is he has not yet been added to IR, which is surprising to me because the news broke a couple of days ago. Um, but on the on the return for the touchdown, he kind of got landed on by some offensive lineman of uh, the Washington Redskins right on the back of his ankle, which we learned he had been not hiding, but you know, the public was unaware of an ankle injury that he had been dealing with for several weeks. Um, As far as I know, that wasn't public knowledge, but it was team knowledge. Is that correct? I believe so. Yeah. We didn't know anything about it. Yeah. So we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, As far as the game went, um, the defense actually played pretty well. They totaled, I believe, six sacks um, against a banged-up offensive line, but nevertheless, that was what they had to do. Six sacks is a lot for one game. So that wasn't bad. Um, you know, we mentioned Janoris Jenkins had to pick six on, you know, somewhat of a bad throw by Kirk Cousins, but he was not settled in the pocket for most of the day. As far as... The run defense went was not as good. Um, a lot of it attributed to the middle linebacker play, I would say. Um, the linebackers were just not set up right. In the middle linebacker spot, we haven't had a steady one for the whole season. Yeah. So, I mean, there's not much you can do there. But, yeah, I mean, there was about 122 yards on the ground total. 118, if you don't count Kirk Cousins. The offense, on the other hand. (laughs) It it just keeps getting worse and worse. I mean, Chad Wheeler showed that he's a rookie. I mean, I think, you know, when you see something like the week before, like, oh, he wasn't that bad, that is the definition of fool's gold, right? Just because you survive one week and you don't make any headlines or doing something atrocious, don't all of a sudden assume the guy's a, a pro bowler out there. And he was exposed pretty badly. Well, I cautioned people not to get too excited about one week's performance with Chad Wheeler. I I reviewed him in his game with Kansas City very closely, and 
I thought he played okay. He wasn't great for a first game playing out of position on the right-hand side. As far as I know, he's never played the right side in college. Um, he played that, that, that's, it's good that he did okay. Um, however, this week he didn't have the benefit of being up against, being next to a veteran presence like DJ Fluker. Um, he was stuck next to, a, you know, backup John Jalapio. And now you have two backups next to each other. This is what's going to happen. I would also add that Ryan Kerrigan might be one of the most underrated pass rushers in the game. For some reason, he's never really mentioned. Um, but I've always thought in a couple of years that him and Brian Arakpo were on the Washington Redskins, that he was the bigger threat. He was the one that gave us more problems no matter who we lined up against. Um, and, you know, he had a day whether he was lining up against uh, Chad Wheeler or Eric Flowers. Yeah. Just just a tough day. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, and then you talk about even guys like DJ Fluker where another guy added to the list of out for the year. Yeah. Is he on IR? I thought he just... I, I, I think I just saw he's on IR. I think they announced it today he's on IR. Sweet. Yeah, so I would imagine that um, newly acquired uh, Greco will play at guard. I don't think Jalapio is like projected to be anything more than a a backup or practice squad style player. Yeah. <laughs> um, one yeah, of the one of the things to say with this team, you yeah. know, it's really just kind of like yeah. Another guy, do you see anybody with promise? Out for the year. Yeah. Guy replaces him. A little sign of, of halfway decentness, either atrocious or out for the year. It's just the same story over and over and over every single week. Yeah, and, and here's this is a new story. Uh, Evan Ingram had a bad game. Yes. Um, he did have three catches, but he had probably three to four drops in this game. All of them pretty egregious, could have been caught should have been caught. Um, it happens. You know, he's a rookie. He's having a phenomenal year. He had a bad game. It happens. It's also a Thursday night game. I don't think in his life he's ever had a turnaround like that. They certainly don't do anything like that in college. Uh, sometimes you play on Thursday night, but usually you have a bye before it, so mm-hmm. no. Yeah, uh, and we went in depth uh, last episode of our thoughts on the Thursday night game. Um, but nevertheless, it is what it is. You got to come prepared, and you got to catch the ball. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's also getting into what this is week eleven, I guess. That you yeah. Throw that, in, yeah. You throw in four preseason games. You're you're game fifteen, longer than he's ever played in his life. Mm-hmm. You know, and you know, it happens. It happens more in the NBA than you know in college basketball. You play thirty games a year, and all of a sudden you're getting into eighty two. You know, I guess, you know, the bumps and grinds of an NFL season are, you know, a lot more uh, rigorous than, you know, the game of football and the game of basketball. But you can definitely see a lot of times some rookies run out of gas around this time where they they hit that wall. (laughs) He's never really been a playoff on a playoff team, really. Um, Ole Miss always played a bowl game, but I don't think they were never in the playoff, were they? Uh, No, no, no. Never in the SEC championship game. Never Mm. in a. Never I mean, they're in bowl games, but yeah. right, no, never. Yeah, and and he's playing in line tight end for the first time in his life, where he's blocking. So every, you know, he's his body is not used to the wear and tear. I mean, think of it like a boxing match, where a guy has never really taken body shots before, and now you're asking him to go ten rounds. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, regardless, it's something he's going to have to get used to, and he'll have the benefit of an NFL offseason with NFL weight training and conditioning. And I imagine that he will partner up with somebody like Odell Beckham in the offseason and do hands drills if he really wants to. I mean, we've seen Jason Pierre-Paul take Jay Bromley under his wing for an offseason. Even, you know, not for the whole offseason, but, you know, two weeks in Miami or wherever the hell. And sweat it out, do his routine with him. Uh, you know, they do that. And he'll overcome this kind of thing. It, bad games are going to happen anyway, though. He's a rookie. Yeah. He's a rookie ass with an inordinate amount of responsibility for guys who shouldn't have that amount of responsibility. I mean, this is not all of a sudden drafting Odell Beckham or drafting, you know, Larry Fitzgerald or somebody like a super high draft pick and expecting him to carry the load of an offense. This is a guy that was a, you know, a, a tight end who they're going to bring along slowly into the offense and do, do attrition from the wide receivers has become the focal part of the offense. It's a lot to digest. It's a lot more of a playbook that he probably wasn't expecting or the coaching staff was expected to have. So games like this are going to happen. He's a rookie. I give him a pass. We've seen a lot more out of him this year than we all expected, you know, and, you know, that's when these horrible seasons have to end because at this point, you know, b- more bad things happen than good things. So, And you mentioned the coaching staff. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a lot of the offensive struggles this week on the coaching staff, and I don't know if I'm supposed to be blaming it on Ben McAdoo, Mike Sullivan, or the both of them, but what we saw against Kansas City was a defined, articulate, and well-executed plan to attack a defense with weaknesses. What we saw this week was bullshit. It was bullshit. It was, this was, here's 10 plays, we're going to run them until they work, and whatever. It didn't really do much in the first half. They moved the ball a little bit here and there. In the second half, it did nothing. It did nothing. There was no halftime adjustment. There was nothing. And in my opinion, in this league, what separates the good teams from the bad teams from a coaching perspective are coaches who are able to see what's going on on the field and make adjustments in the game. It's one of the reasons why the Patriots never fucking lose. Even when they're losing, you know, everybody, Twitter turns into a firestorm and the Patriots are down double digits in the first half. And then every time in the second half, they come back and win. It's because Bill Belichick and his team of coaches are the best at doing adjustments mid-game. And this team, I have never seen adjust to anything. The offensive show that they put out there was offensive. It, it, it looked like a team that just wanted to shorten the game up so much and get out of there. It, it was a team that gave up. I, there was, it was, this was a coaching staff that made no effort to try and exploit weaknesses on this team or adjust to what just simply wasn't working. You know, one of the reasons why I had a lot of trouble putting a lot of blame on Eric Flowers from the get-go is that under Ben McAdoo, I have not seen a whole lot of help given to Eric Flowers. And it's something I mentioned before. At the end of the day, it sort of doesn't matter. But at the end, of it kind of does. I mean, whether or not he's your draft pick or you inherited him when you became the head coach, he's the guy you've got. This is what you've got. You've got a game plan to figure out how to make this roster work. You don't just go out there and be like, this is my offense, this is how it's run. If he doesn't work, then we're going to have to replace him. That's not how it works. You don't just forfeit seasons like that. And, yeah. you know, it, that's kind of what 
this looked like. I there was no effort to run any sort of not that there needs to be trickery, but there's just especially nothing creative. From, especially from a coaching staff that's coaching for their lives in this on this team. You know. Yeah. Show like you want to be here. Show like you you're treating this like I need to win this game to make the playoffs. Show like you you know, you give a shit. And that was just was like a team that was a coaching staff that like I said, it, it was like watching when in college football if Florida paid Southwest Louisiana $500,000 to play on the second week of September, we're going to give you your paycheck, compete all you want. You're not going to win. And just that team plays just to get out of there and nobody get hurt. That's what it looked like we were. We look like the Thanksgiving homecoming team for Washington. And that's a disgrace. Yeah. Because and not for nothing, Washington's not all that good. So what we watched was a lot. They're not. Re- they're, they're in the toilet right now. Yeah. It was a lot less like Florida holding Southwest, uh, hosting Southwest Louisiana. It was more like, I, I don't know, Tennessee hosting Southwest Louisiana or, or <laughs> I, you know, seen this lately, uh, Louisiana no. Tech. <laughs> it, it, yeah. That, I'm more frustrated with that. I mean, when you look at the roster, you expect things to not go well. When I look at the product that was on the field, I saw a lack of effort to even try and coach a win. What we saw against Kansas City was a very well-designed, well-executed playbook. Uh, you know, and to, be, and to be fair too, that we we criticized, I criticized it at the game and on the show the following you know Monday. I also thought that was a Kansas City coaching staff that wasn't coaching to exactly. win exactly, and they lose. I mean, this league is the difference between. Philadelphia and Cleveland is not so much in the talent. It's the preparation yeah. and the execution of that game plan. That's a big difference. That's why you know, good coaches win wherever they are and shitty coaches just keep getting shitty jobs. Yeah, and, and to my point is you know, anybody can watch film and set up a game plan. It takes a lot to be to, to play that chess match and have – the correct response when they respond to what you've done or when things aren't working to figure out how to adjust and fix things. Look, if you're trying to shorten the game and it's not working, then do something different. Throw the ball. I don't know. Whatever. Figure something out. You're the coaches, yeah, you know, not me. Again, these coaches, they are so conditioned and trained to not make, try not to make mistakes and put themselves in a position to fail that they just won't. And they just rather go boring and safe and conservative than, God forbid, pick six and having a game turn ugly. I guess a lot of it. And guess what? At some point you gotta say what the fuck? Make your move. My my concern isn't so much with a two and eight team and you're coaching like that. It's, I haven't seen anything to the contrary if this team were eight and two. I feel like if this is the game plan that they went in with and it wasn't working, they're just going to keep trying until it works. I have seen nothing to the contrary. Yeah. Um, and guess what? This season is not one week away and we're done. I mean, we still have, what, five weeks left? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Two and 14 is a real possibility. I. It's close to a certainty at this point. That the the only team that this team could possibly beat would be Cleveland. With the way that they played on Thursday, it's the only way they. 
Part of it's the roster. A lot of it's the roster. But it's a weird league, though. You never know. I mean, again, that's why I don't gamble in the NFL. Yeah. You know, there's always. I mean, going into that Kansas City game, we gave we gave it preseason. We gave it no shot, and yeah. then you know, weather conditions. Uh, you know. Well, there are some other factors. Not mathematically out of it, you know. I mean, we didn't we didn't factor in the fact that Kansas City would be looking past them at that mm-hmm. point. Uh, which is very likely what was going to there's happen. No, eh, there's no looking past in the NFL. It, 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 again, every game is too important. I mean, you say this that. College. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess. I I do think that there is some looking past that goes on, though. I, I think yeah. the Giants have been guilty of it even under Tom Coughlin. There were always those games where you're like, they thought they were just going to roll through this game without really trying. and They didn't always lose those games, but you were watching it like, what the hell are we doing here? In any case, I want to circle back to Janoris Jenkins. Um, Janoris Jenkins, a couple of weeks ago, put out a shit effort, and uh, we called him out here. He was pretty much called out everywhere for his tackling um, and just what looked like a general lack of effort or caring. Um, Nobody knew outside of the team that he was dealing with an ankle injury. That's not an excuse. Um... But what we had done is we all assumed that when they had their brutally honest discussion that it was I, – I know I thought that it was pretty much jackrabbit on the table for screwing up left and right. There was a report that came out that it was – Landon Collins was called out for his lack of effort on a couple of plays. And it was mostly Eli Apple. Now – I want to backtrack a little bit on my criticism of Janoris Jenkins. Had I known he was dealing with an injury, um, you know, it's certainly something that would have factored into some of what he was doing, why he was getting burned deep, things of that nature. You know, now, at this point, he is tied with Orleans Darkwa and Roger Lewis for third on the team for touchdowns. Think about that. Um, he is having a good year if you factor in the fact that he's had injuries for the last couple of weeks. He's not played badly, cumulatively speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, Eli Apple, on the other hand, has not played well at all this year. He's been benched multiple times. He didn't play this week because he only practiced one week. He had spent the time with his mother who was having brain surgery or some, something. She had cancer. I I don't know. Um which is understandable, but my concern with him is mental. And it's it's never been physical. I think, physically speaking, he has all the tools to work with, and he is a good cover corner. Um, twice when he was called out in the meeting, he, he wanted to leave. He wanted to just get up and leave the meeting, which is a, an alarming lack of maturity and professionalism. Um, eventually, after meeting with Ben McAdoo, he did not leave the facility. Um, and I guess, you know, some of it may have been some emotional thing he was dealing with as his mom was still preparing for surgery at that time. I don't think I care. You know? you got to be professional. Yeah. I mean, you're getting paid a lot of money. You have to leave that at the table and just do your job. Um, this this staff has been pretty patient with him and all of his bullshit. Um, I think at this point it's pretty safe to say that he was the 
anonymous source complaining about the coaches and whether it came directly from him or came through his mother i don't know but i am i i'm unhappy with and i always was unhappy with the the relationship he had with his mother uh and just how outspoken she is it's almost like it just doesn't belong. It's not because she's a woman and she's trying to do her career. It's not because well, it's, it's his mother. It's just LeVar an Ball. outsider. It's an outsider. It's a LeVar Ball situation. Yeah. You know, let your kids be adults. You know, you you have no business, you know, interfering in what they're doing. You know, how insane would it be if, you know, your mom showed up, you know, on this podcast, like, and sat in, in this room and said, hey, you should be doing this or, you know, you should be doing that. Like, get lost. Yeah. This is my job. And this is their job. I understand that she's been with her son through all of his teams and she kind of probably has a good understanding of when things are going well. But we had covered this earlier. A lot of these guys, not all of them, as some of them come from smaller schools and whatever, but for the most part these guys and Eli Apple falls into this category. This he's probably lost more times this season than he ever had in his his football career, high school and college. A lot of these guys are recruited high into a great prep school that loses twice a year. They go to twice a college. A they, might lose, they might lose twice in their four years in high school. Yeah. And then they go to Ohio State, win the national championship. Uh, you know, they might lose four times in the four years you're there, if you're even there four years. And we, when we were talking about this, we were talking about Landon Collins and how he's probably never lost in his life until he came to the NFL. He's never been a part of a losing culture before. So Annie Apple has never seen him deal with losing before. She doesn't know how the NFL works. She doesn't know because she's never been a part of it. I don't know how the NFL works. But you don't see me, you know, getting involved in the team and leaking out bullshit. Like, I know what is supposed to be going on inside the locker room. I have no idea. And, you know... You don't know what goes on in the locker room and what should go on and what shouldn't go on. So, I I I'm I'm worried about Eli Apple's future with this team. At the beginning of the year, I had been thinking that this was going to be the last year we were going to see Dominic Rogers Camardi, um, and that this coming off season we'd probably see the Giants go out and draft or buy a slot cornerback so that Eli Apple and Janoris Jenkins can play the outside and they have a legitimate guy to play the slot, which is where DRC has sort of been hovering for the majority of this year and the majority of last year. Now I'm not so sure. I mean, I Eli Apple has shown nothing this year but immaturity and bad play. And I don't know how much they're going to hinge on him being. I mean, they already went out and, and traded for Ross Cockrell. So... I'm I'm you can color me officially worried about Eli Apple's future with the Giants. Well, I will have the one caveat with that is we don't know who this coaching staff will be next year. It's also and true. He might he might get a clean slate and a clean, you know, he might just, you know, have, you know, we've seen this entire secondary have an issue one person or another. And, you know, maybe a whole new coaching staff comes in after this year. Everybody gets the the slate white clean and they start fresh so I don't know if it was something like this was a new staff and this team was somewhat successful and something to build on in the future I'd be right there with you they might you know cut dead weight and move on but who knows with this team right now we have no idea who the GM will be next year 
could be a GM who's not invested in that draft pick, a, a coaching staff that you know does its own reevaluations of the you know, the physical talent and the mental makeup of this team, and you know might prune some dead wood. So valid points, but we will have to see what happens in the future. Yeah, for sure. Um, I it, it's just difficult because I really felt like he he I know he has all the tools. He's shown he has all the tools. Um, the there's the mental part I don't. Of, there's yeah. a long list of guys out there that you know, you know the the Ryan Leafs of the world. You look at them like, oh my God, this guy's got Hall of Fame written all over him. But you know, just don't have it up top. Whether it's just the smarts or the emotional maturity, or the ability to learn or the ability to evolve, so you might be be one of those guys. Yeah. Um, you know, for a while the Giants were su- surviving pretty well with Dante Dion in the slot, which is the guy that everybody sort of likes as a person. Um, they're all sort of rooting for him. He is five nine, but he plays bigger. He plays aggressively. Um, he also broke his arm. Against the Redskins making a tackle. So just as we were saying earlier about every time somebody shows a little bit of something, they either have a stinker of a game or they get hurt. Yeah. And Dante Dion broke his arm. He is out for the year. Um and hopefully he'll he'll be that slot guy next year. You know, he'll certainly get the first crack at it unless there's a very high draft pick invested in the slot corner, which as of my current understanding of the roster is not the highest priority. So, but, yeah, again, a new GM could, you know, have a whole different set of priorities than this current GM does too. Absolutely, yeah. On that note, yeah. <laughs> um the Giants will be away at Oakland um this Sunday at 4:25, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um We'll cover that whole matchup later on this week. Um, just make sure to follow us on Twitter. Um, I'm at football underscore grump. Um, you can find this episode on Twitter being uh, bumped via at just giants pod, but it'll be posted through iTunes and through SoundCloud and be sure to give us five star rating and recommend us to your friends. Um, we have all the best info on the worst team in the league. And also, if you notice that a podcast hasn't been posted, please be sure and uh, let me know at the Cranky Fan. We apologize. <laughs> we forgot to post the show for the preview for Thursday. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> In all of our uh, pre-Thanksgiving revelry, uh, realized on Friday afternoon that we never posted the episode for the preview. So that bonus feature will be in our... Uh, archives if you ever want to go back and hear all the wrong things we said about it so (laughs) apologize for that but uh if you ever want to do reach out to us talk giants or anything reach out to me on twitter at the cranky fan and like grump said all our episodes once we actually post are on itunes and on soundcloud so we promise you we will have an episode was this Friday morning for previewing the Oakland game (laughs) what we can't promise you is that the game will be worth watching (laughs) <laughs> Unfortunately, they have to post every NFL game. So. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. Go Giants. Go Giants. <laughs>